Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 561. You know, one of the things that we've made as a goal is in restoration is to try to be true to the highest level of authenticity. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost jump starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, David Cooper. David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I sure am. Thank you. All right. Great to have you here. David Cooper founded Cooper Technica in 1989. With studios in Chicago and Lyon, France, he specializes in complete restorations of rare and valuable vintage automobiles with a focus on pre-war and early post-war European sports and touring cars, some of my favorites. Meticulous research and historical documentation is completed with an emphasis on functionality. David apprenticed under a master craftsman for 11 years after a decade in engineering and marketing in the corporate world. He's a third-generation trained fabricator, machinist, and machine designer. David is a frequent lecturer, radio guest, podcast guest today, consultant, and Concord judge. He writes columns for Sports Car Market, Veloci Today, and has authored several books, which a new one we'll learn about here during our talk today. So, David, I told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your business and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, thanks, Mark. I love automobiles. I have since I was, I don't know, I can't even remember. And I just didn't realize I was going to get into the automotive business. I got into engineering and marketing and some other work for special equipment after I graduated from college. But instead, what happened is that uh, the company got sold and I started uh, vintage racing and I started doing my own work. And when my company, the company was sold, I went to one of my uh, vintage race clients came up to me and uh, hired me to restore a uh, 1937 BMW. Oh, wow. 328 Roadster. Nice. So that was exciting, and that was the first job that I got, and I thought, well, how can I say no to this? And I set up a business around that. Wow. And that was uh, 27 years ago. Wow. Well, how fortuitous and how fun uh, going from uh, a hobby, if you will, uh, vintage racing into a vocation. And that's a lot of what Cars Yeah! is all about is I get to talk to people who figured out a way to wrap their passion for cars around their careers, and that's exactly what you've done. you built a magnificent career 
And we're going to learn a lot more about that as we move through the questions. But first, as we continue on this journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying or a mantra or a thought philosophy for you and your business. And it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, David, take the wheel. You know, one of the things that we've made as a goal is in, is in restoration is to try to be true to the highest level of authenticity. And by that, I mean to understand what the original designers had in mind when they built these wonderful cars, to try to understand the historical context in which they were made, to try to understand the people who bought them and the history of the cars as they went through time. Mm-hmm. And we're so we're committed to that more than, say, many restoration shops who are more concerned, let's say, with aesthetics or more concerned with trying to make a car look beautiful. We're trying to make the car look exactly like it did with original materials, with original techniques. So we work hard to be committed to authenticity at the highest level. Tell us a little bit more about how you go about that, because when you encounter an old car, let's say that first 328 that you restored or some of the magnificent cars you've done, Delahaye's, One Mark, for example, how do you go about figuring out what the designer's intent was when it's been decades since that car was created? Well, you ask a good question, because a lot of what we have to do is based on research before we even turn the first wrench Mm. or start to do anything, because... A lot of these cars are obscure. I mean, the BMW 328, there are a number of those. Those are more well-known in some ways. But this particular car was a Fraser Nash BMW, which was imported by Fraser Nash into England in 1937 and converted to, or ordered with right-hand drive. They were the exclusive marketers of the right-hand drive version for the English market. It was first imported. I, I studied the man who imported it. I know the first owner, Lord Howe who bought this car uh, new in 1937 and raced it extensively in England before uh, before the war. Mm-hmm. And Lord Howe tracked down my the current owner at the time, my client, and invited him to visit, and we collected a lot of information about the car, which wow. was very exciting. Yeah. So we had a lot of specific information about this car as well as the model and the racing history and all kinds of other things. Right. So it seems like awful lot of research and especially the detail that you go into is done well before you walk out into the shop and and start doing anything on the car, which I find really, really interesting and cool. It must bring a, a whole new aspect of your career and what you do to your job, right? Well, I think it does very much. I mean, I studied philosophy in school. And as I said, I also worked in engineering at the same time. So I come up with sort of a strange background to come into this business. (laughs) Yeah, very different. I was trained to do really careful research, meticulous research on the things that I would write reports and and, uh, essays about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I come back in historical research on the one hand is very much a part of what I believe in and what I think is important. And I came up with a good background to do that. And then also, I find the history of these cars just remarkable. Yes. Yeah. The people around them, the reasons for the creations, the life they've lived throughout their time. So very, very interesting, very fascinating as well. Well, let's go back in time since you deal with cars that go back in time and have you share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you realize that, uh uh-oh, I'm a car guy? I've got two quick stories, if I can tell you. Yes. First, when I was seven years old, my father took me to the uh, Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn. Oh, okay. And I remember walking through that museum, just the two of us, on this trip, and I saw at the end of an aisle the Bugatti Royale, the type mm. 41 Bugatti, yes. and I just fell in love with this car. I thought it was one of the most magnificent cars ever. 
And so I came back. I remember coming back in second grade, and my second grade teacher said, I'd like everybody in class to take a piece of paper and draw something they thought was important that they saw over the summer. So I thought I'd draw this car, and I went up to her, and I got a piece of paper. And then I went up a few minutes later, and I said, can I have another piece of paper? And she said, sure. And then I went up a few minutes later, can I have another piece of paper? And she said, sure, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm drawing the car that I saw at the Ford Museum. <laughs> well, what is it? Well, it's Bugatti Royale. Well, tell me about why are you need so many pieces of paper. I said, because it's such a big car, I can't it's, draw it small. It's a long car. <laughs> yeah, so she basically said, I love it pushed all the desks aside, told everybody to help me, and we basically created a full-size drawing of the Bugatti Royale. Oh, my gosh. Wow. She just taped, she's, we all taped pieces of paper together, this giant pieces of the paper all over the floor, <laughs> and I drew the car, and it was pretty much to scale. I mean, it was like you know, wow. 19 feet long or something like that. How fun. And so, I, you know, I have to say, I, I admire her, and I was heartbroken when she got married, and I realized that it wasn't going to be to me. Oh, yes, you know? we all have those teachers early in our lives. <laughs> but um, she was great, and I thought, you know, in thinking back on it, I realized that I was already committed to cars, and, and not only cars, but particularly the finest cars of the 30s and 40s, the streamlined cars, the brilliant designers, the examples of some of the best cars in the world. Yeah, fantastic. The other story I was going to tell you was that when I was quit my job and I wasn't sure about this BMW and the BMW came up as a car to restore and the client, my client asked me if I would do it. I, he said, do you have a shop? And I said, well, not yet. No, I don't have anything. I haven't really <laughs> gotten in business yet. I said, I'm just in business for five minutes, you know, after you ask. <laughs> yes. And he said, well, well, why don't you start working at my place? And I said, I would love to. And his place was the building that they used for Ferris Bueller's Day Off where the Ferrari goes through the window. Oh, you're kidding. That garage? So the building where I started my business was that garage. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that interesting? Very cool. And the, and the toolbox, one of the snap-on toolboxes I have in my shop was the snap-on toolbox in the movie. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that funny? Wow. So I was very fortunate. You know, I was there for about three months. The building was great, but unfortunately, it was not a great place to build a shop. Yes. So I moved out of there and moved downtown to Chicago and to the uh, near the Loop area. And I've been there ever since. Wow. What an interesting story. Ferris Bueller's garage, or, or his friend's garage, if you will. Wasn't his, his friend's garage, but yes. Exactly. Very cool story. Thanks for sharing those. Well, David, what I'd love to do now is look at some of the roads you've driven down, crawl into the hood, get our hands dirty, certainly something you're not afraid of doing. Would you share with me a huge challenge or a great failure that you faced along the way with your career? Take us to that painful moment. But more importantly, how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you? That's a good question. You know, I, I'm working on a car right now that is one of the biggest challenges of cars that I've worked on. And that is a 1937 Delage D8120 Aerosport Coupe. Ooh. This is a, one of the most remarkable cars of the 20th century. It's considered by Dennis Adler in his list of the top cars of the 20th century in the top 10. It's one of the seminal designs. It's it influenced everybody when they thought about how to make a streamlined touring car. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of beautiful cars at that time, like the Bugatti Atlantique or the uh, Talbo, Talbo Lago teardrop designs by Portu and Fagoni. But this car by Letourneur and Marchand was a practical car in the sense that it was very usable. You could see out of it. You could drive it. You could hold four passengers in it. It was a very practical car. It was a 100-mile-an-hour touring car, and it was used quite a bit. So it, it was a little different than some of the other cars that were almost art, but were hard to drive. Wow. Now, if I have my memory right, and I may be off with my models, is that the car that has a fin down the back deck? It does. Yes. It has a central fin. Yeah. We have a joke around the shop that, that we only want to work on cars that have fins. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful car. Well, so obviously, uh, how how many were made? I mean, the process of trying to figure out how to restore this car to the right provenance, uh, where do you even start? Well, let me tell you a little bit about this one. This is one of 12 made and one of eight that survived. Oh, wow. And all the cars were somewhat different, but they were really can be grouped into three series. This is the first car of the second series. Mm-hmm. So the first series came out in 36, and the second series, a slight upgrade of design, but it turned out to be a more major design change than people realized, came out in 37. Mm. And I started to trace the history of this car when I got it. I got it, and I bought it, and it was in pieces. Somebody had started restoration. They had gotten to a point where they couldn't get the car finished, and they decided to sell it. And I bought it with a group of investors, and it was in pieces in three countries. Parts of it were in France, parts of it were in England, and parts of it were in Switzerland. Oh, wow. So I traveled to all three countries, and I looked at all the parts, and I sorted them all, and I had them all shipped to France. And this is what led to my having a shop in France, because I started to work on the car there, and I met some very talented people who uh, are collaborating with me on that project. Oh, wow. Very, very interesting. I like also the aspect of uh, people gathering their money together to put a significant car together as an investment, perhaps to sell or perhaps to keep for a while or whatever. It's a whole nother aspect of car ownership that uh, is somewhat growing in some ways, especially the very high and unique cars. You know, it is. And I think we've got something kind of unique in the investment world because what we set up are limited partnerships where we actually find cars that are in need of our services, Mm. our restoration and our research and our documentation. And then we finish restoring them, supporting them, making them ready for a concours at the highest level. And these are cars that then will be marketed ultimately to new buyers. Wow. I can't wait. Now, do you have an end date right now on your calendar of when that vehicle will be ready to see? We're scheduled to debut the Delage at um, the concours in France called... uh, Chantilly Arts and Elegance, Richard Neal, which yes. is uh, mm-hmm. at Chantilly in France in September. Awesome. I've been trying to get Richard on my show, so if you're friends with him, give him a call, would you? I would love to interview him and expose uh, some more people to that event because a lot of people here in the States don't know about that event. They haven't heard about it. It's a very special event, and I, I'm really looking forward to uh, being a participant in there for the next several years because we have cars that we're finishing almost every year. Wow. Congratulations. Well, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story when you had what I call a career aha moment. It's a time when uh, something came to mind. You said, I'm going to go down this path, this direction, and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success. Well, you know, it's interesting you ask that because the thing that strikes me when you ask that is is my fortune, good fortune to have had a mentor in this business, a person I apprenticed with, and I couldn't have done this without him. And so I want to really pay tribute to him for just a moment. That's a man named Lenny Morrison. Mm. He was sort of a, he was an engineer. He was a mechanic. He was a designer. He had a number of patents to his name. But he was a guy who people from all over the country would call when they needed, they had a problem they couldn't solve. Mm -hmm. They had a car they couldn't fix. They had something they couldn't make run. They had something they couldn't figure out. He was the guy of sort of the person of last resort, I used to say. And he worked for Harris. He worked for a number of other collectors around the country. But he was in Chicago, and unfortunately, he had uh, kidney failure. And so he was on dialysis twice a week. Mm-hmm. And the other days, he really couldn't work at a full job anymore. Mm-hmm. But he came down to work with me in Chicago, and he and I worked over every problem and discussed how to do them. And, and uh, I learned so much about how to restore cars that I couldn't have possibly done without him. Because nice. as much as I knew about fabrication and, and engines and things, 
I wasn't prepared for the level of knowledge that was required to be at this point, at this type of business, where we're right. working with so many um, obsolete technologies and materials and, and uh, trying to figure out how to make things work that haven't been working for the last 50, 75 years. <laughs> exactly. Well, you're so fortunate to have found a mentor in him, and the fact that people that have that experience can hand that off, pass that down to a next generation, to other people, and hopefully uh, you can pass that on to the people that you work as well is a really, really a special gift. It is, and I felt very privileged. And I, I will tell you, just because of the other side of the story, he was one of the most cantankerous people you'll ever meet. <laughs> Sometimes those folks are. And that also is part of who he was. And, yeah. and everybody who knows him you know, saw both sides. But, I mean, he was just he was a generous person, and um, I, I feel so privileged yes. to have gone through that experience. Very fortunate indeed. Well, I would assume throughout your career, you've been doing this for a long time. You've had many proud moments. But is there one in particular that stands out for you? Well, you know, I have I, <laughs> I have several that come to mind. One is funny. When we had our um, Bugatti on the Today Show, that was kind of fun. Oh, wow. This was a car that David Gooding was auctioning off for my client, and uh, he arranged for the cars to be on the Today Show, and I brought the car to New York, to Rockefeller Center for that. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a really cold day, <laughs> of all things in New York. So... <laughs> Getting a Bugatti race car to run, this is a Type 35B. Oh. It was a very rare car. Yes. It was a car that had been owned by a very famous French uh, female race driver named Ellie Neef. This was her personal car. It was a numbers-matching car. It was a very important yes. car. Yeah. And so we had it on the Today Show, and at that time, Katie Couric was on the show still. The idea was that she would come and sit in the car, and they would drive it about 50 feet, park it, and then she would do an interview. Ah, so we had the car up on the uh, right outside Rockefeller Center, and it's freezing cold. It's like 45 degrees <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. And so I start the car. I have to get the car started and warmed up because I want to make sure. It's a crank start. Sure. I want to make sure when we crank it, it will start. Yeah. So we, we started at about 6 o'clock in the morning and ran it for half an hour. And then we started it again, no, I guess about 5 o'clock in the morning, ran it for half an hour. Then we started again at 6 o'clock and ran it for half an hour. And now the, by now the engine's warm, but it's not it's cooling when we shut it down. Sure. And the guys came running out from the studio and it's still started again. We're picking it up inside. Oh, they're, yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> we didn't. But anyway, so Katie came out and she talked to me. She said, well, what, what do, what do I do with this car? How do I get into it? I said, well, if you want to get into it like they do in the Lamont start when you run across the, the track and you jump in. And she said, that's exactly what I want to do. Okay. I said, okay. So you jump in on, with your feet on the seat, you throw the feet forward, let your butt fall. And you're in. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. So she comes back and um, she goes, I'm going to wear pants. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just laughing. Okay, fine. So there's no rehearsal. This is live television. Right? Yeah. So she comes running out, cameraman with the camera on his shoulder right behind her with the long cord chasing after her. And she's wearing this white jumpsuit with a, a leather hat of an early uh, World War One pilot. Okay. Goggles. Yeah. And she comes running in, does her full jump, throws herself down the seat. And they're ready to start the car, and I've got a guy who's going to crank the car, and I'm working the, the carburetor to make sure that uh, David Gooding is driving, and I want to make sure it doesn't flood. Mm-hmm. And we get it started right away, and then the car just, they drive it about 50 feet and do this interview. Nice. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> what great fun. She had a nice uh, spirit to come out and want to jump in that vehicle and drive off, too. So She did. She was great. Very cool. Um, you know, so that was kind of a fun moment. There were lots of things like I've I've been able to do that. I've had cars at different shows, and we've won a bunch of special awards. I've done a lot of judging. I was just judging at the uh, Concours at Schloss Dijk. It was a uh, German Concours, Castle Dijk, in, uh, near Dusseldorf. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful show, and I had a chance. 
I got there and I was, we were, as judges, we were helping to check the cars in and I got to be friendly with one of the entrants and he had a, an SSK, a 1930 Mercedes Benz SSK with a Corsica body. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Car. Wonderful. So he looked at me and he said, I'm going on the tour, but I don't have anybody as a passenger. Do you want to come? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I jumped in, and the two of us spent the next couple hours cruising around the German countryside in this SSK, which was just a phenomenal car. 7.1-liter yeah. engine supercharged. I mean, the thing just flew. Very fun. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here and talk about your first special car. Go back in time. Think about the first time you acquired a car that was really special for you, and maybe share a memory you have of that vehicle. Well, I'll tell you, I bought a car the day I got my driver's license, cool. which is when I was 16, which I had saved up for because I knew I was going to buy this car. And that was a Fiat 124 Spider. Oh, cool. A used one. It was tremendous fun. I had sort of had my eye on that car for a long time, and I bought it as soon as I could. And we drove it all around, all winters. I took the top down any time. And I just had a great time with that car. It was sort of my introduction to a fun car. Sure, sure. Yeah, great way to start for sure. Pretty darn fun to have a car like that when you're 16 years old as well. Most of yeah. us had old American cars like I did. Now, how about seller's remorse? Now, let's take away the the monetary value from this question because we've all owned cars. We've sold that, of course, have escalated. The market shot up. It's kind of wavering a little now. Who knows where it'll go next? But is there a vehicle that you've owned that you let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? I would say no in a sense because when I sell a car, generally, I... I I'm ready to sell them. Ah, okay. You're ready to let go. I'm ready to let go. I mean, I've sort of moved on in my mind. I'm going to go a different way. I had a wonderful 911 that I, I sold. And, uh, you know, I, at the time when I had it, I had it for 11 years. And I thought, you know, it's, I'm not driving it enough and enjoying it enough. Somebody else should enjoy it. Yeah. And it was too bad because it was a wonderful car, but it just wasn't a car very practical for driving around the city. You know, I felt like every time I took it out, I was found. I said, I always told myself, I drove it less than two thousand miles a year. I was going to sell it. Mm, okay. Mostly, I've owned cars that I've worked on and restored, and been involved in that kind of thing. And when I've been involved in the restoration of cars, then it's a different story, also. I mean, right. Been, it's a business venture. It's a business venture, but it's cars that I also, you know, I get very attached to them as I work on them. I get to know them very intimately. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow. I'd love for you to share what you're working on right now that really has you fired up and excited. I know you're working on a book. You're, you're a new columnist for Sports Car Market. Keith Martin's been on the show. You write for Veloce Today. I've had the director of that company on my show as well. So what's happening now that really has you excited? Well, I'll tell you. One thing I'm doing is I'm working on two different books. And this is kind of exciting because it's a side thing from the restoration, but it's something that I'm looking forward to doing. One is a book that I'm working with um, Michael Furman and Coach Built Press. Ah, yes, Michael's been a guest here on Cars, yeah? Good. Michael's great. Uh, he's a great guy. He and I have judged together. I've been friends with him for a long, long time, and, and uh, we get along extremely well. But anyway, he agreed to, to work with me on this book, and what it's going to be is a book, a very different book. It's going to be Tentatively, we're calling it The Art of Restoration. I'm not sure if that's going to be the final title, but it's a book of case studies of restoration. Oh, So we're going to cool. talk about a particular car, the problem, what we had to do to fix the problem, and what happened as a result of it with okay. pictures. Oh, I so love that So it's going to be a lot idea. of photographs. So it's going to be an interesting book, and I've never seen anything quite like it. So we've written about a third of it so far. We're working on it using a bunch of examples from my... Uh, experience of different cars that I've worked on, and mm -hmm. I have lots of pictures, which helps a lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you have a, a date that that'll be published and available yet? Well, we had toyed with the idea of being 
2017 uh, August, and I'm not sure if we'll make that or not. If yeah. not, then it'll be sometime after that. Okay. But uh, that's what I'm working on. You know, nice. it, it takes a long time because the photography has to be done, too. Oh, of course. And that's, there's a lot of that. We have to track down cars that have been sold, and I don't know where they are anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. Like so, now, you mentioned a second book. Yes. So the car that, the Delage that I spoke of earlier, the 1937 Delage, Aerosport Coupe, was first owned by a woman named Millicent Rogers. She was an heiress of the Standard Oil fortune. She was living in Europe with her family. She was a fashion model. She was an artist. She was an art collector. But she was also, and this is the part that's going to be covered in this forthcoming book, she was involved in intelligence work both before and during World War II. Okay. A very interesting story about her life. In the course of of, uh, researching the Delage, the history of the Delage, I ended up researching the history of her life and discovering a bunch of things about her that people didn't know before. Wow. Um, And part of that's because I tracked down a bunch of information that was in archives around the country and around the world. Um, I went. We went to the National Archives in Washington. We went to the Roosevelt Library. We went to the Ar- British National Archives at Kew. We went to Austria and tracked down documents where she lived there. We went to France and tracked down things there, uh, all over the United States and Virginia when she had a house there in New York, California, Arizona, Texas. So it's been quite an extensive project, and it's probably the most elaborate an extensive research project I've ever done on a car. Wow, sounds interesting. Or on a car's owner. Yeah, but car, what's yeah. <laughs> happened is, in the course of doing it, I've gotten to be very friendly with the members, surviving members of her family. I got to be very close with her one surviving son who passed away last uh, late December last year. Mm-hmm. And he and I worked a lot on the research about his mother and her career, and stuff he didn't know about, really. Because wow. she didn't talk about her intelligence work, but he knew he was fascinated by it. So he's been helping me put this together, and we started researching some of the history and tracking down what happened to her when she was living in Austria and the Anschluss when the Germans, the Nazis, came in to take over Austria, and how that was from her point of view, and then what she did to fight them because she personally decided she was going to devote her life to fighting the Nazis. Wow! Wow! And Very interesting. I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed with this because you know here's a person who comes from wealth who like a lot of people, could have just said, I'm going to donate some money to a cause. But she didn't do that. She, her idea was, no, I'm going to personally fight them. I'm going to help yeah. people escape. I'm going to help prevent them from doing things. I'm going to help thwart their plans. And then I'm going to work to supply people with equipment and supplies that they need. She started a uh, relief agency in the United States back in 1940, before, about a year and a half before we got in the war, called the Medical and Surgical Relief Committee. And they supplied medical and surgical supplies to anybody who was fighting the Nazis and later the Japanese anywhere around the world. Wow. Very interesting. Can't wait for that to come out. What an intriguing story. So that's going to be a coffee table book. And that's where I'm working on that now, too. Fantastic. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, David. If you were a car, what kind of car would David be and why? Hmm. You know, I have to say I probably would pick a Bugatti. Okay. That's a very unique car, a very special car. What is it about a Bugatti that you feel relates to who you are? And I probably have to be a 57, <laughs> <laughs> to be more specific. I'll tell you why. You know, and this is sort of an off-the-cuff answer, but one of the things that always impressed me about Bugatti is he, he was my inspiration in when I started in terms of somebody who was so creative and so brilliant in terms of putting his soul into the cars that he built, mm-hmm. both Ettore and Jean Bugatti, his son. And Jean Bugatti's designs were some of the nicest in the world. But the thing that I liked was Bugatti had a principle that the parts that you didn't see should be just as well-finished and good-looking as the parts you did. Yes. And nobody else really did that. I mean, he treated cars like jewelry. 
Yeah. And it was eccentric. It was an expensive decision on his part. I don't think he made any real money in the car business ultimately, but nonetheless, he had a life and a style and a way of being in the world that I thought was fabulous. So, you know, if I could emulate anybody, it would be that. And I think that my commitment to sheer accuracy in the restoration comes from Bugatti. Yeah, wow, fantastic. I I know you've been there. I'm sure you've been to the Schump Museum. I had the pleasure of visiting that museum some time ago and seeing all those magnificent cars and got some friends here in the Pacific Northwest who have Bugattis and I've even been able to drive an old one. So uh, very beautiful. I love that answer. Great answer. So David, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, David, we're back, and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? You know, I guess I would say in in vintage racing, and it applies to lots of things, your race is with the guy in front of you and the guy behind you. You want to pass the guy in front of you, and you want to keep the guy behind you from passing you. It's (laughs) not with the rest of the world. It's You know, when we focus on restoration, our restorations are our own thing. We don't have to pass everybody. We don't have to do anything. We're just focused on what we're trying to do as well as we can do it. Yep. When I raised vintage cars, my very first race, I was sitting there ready to go, quite nervous. And the the gentleman who's been a guest here on Cars, yeah, Louis Shevchik, who restores some fantastic vintage race cars, came up to me and said, just remember one thing, the throttle goes both ways. So (laughs) I always remember that. And just we're focused on the guy in front of you. That's the key. Yeah, Yeah. And the guy behind you too. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? You know, there's probably many things that I can think of. One thing is I I really respect so many people in this business. Mm. And I feel like I learn from them. I learn every day. Yes. And if I feel like I'm not learning, then I'm not doing my job. So I'm learning about the cars. I'm learning about the history. I'm learning about people's experiences. I feel like I collect experiences if I collect anything, more than I collect cars even, because I've had the opportunity to meet and spend time with many, many remarkable people, I think, uh, you know, anywhere from Rene Dreyfus to Bob Lutz to Bobby Rahal to many different others. And, and this has been just a privilege for me. Ah, fantastic. Now, how about a resource? I know there's lots of great resources these days, but is there one in particular that you'd like to share with the Cars Yeah listeners? You know, it's a funny, I'm going to give you a funny answer to that. Okay. Because <laughs> there are lots of great resources and stuff, and I have a very extensive library of cars, of books that relate to the cars we work on. But I find as much help as all of that is the contacts with people in the car clubs, the contacts with people who have experienced this, the study of, of original photographs and original documents. And a lot of that's available through car clubs. Mm, yes. Yeah. Great way to resource information is contact people for sure. 
Now, how about a book? Is there one book in particular? I know there's lots of great books, but is there one in particular, maybe a book you've read currently or recently, I should say, that you think our listeners would enjoy? You know, there are a number of them. There's a new book that uh, Jean-Paul Tissot put together about Delahaye and Fagoni that's really quite wonderful mm. on that that particular make. But I, I think I'm going to refer to a different book. Richard Adato wrote a book from Passion to Perfection, mm-hmm. which is a book about many different French cars. And he, he had lots of examples of cars, went car by car by car for the different ones. And that book was really important to me when I was starting early on in this business, when it first came out, because I studied that book and I studied the resources and I studied the pictures and it really taught me a lot. And even though there are are mistakes in it, and there's restoration mistakes where people have restored the cars and they haven't paid attention to what's original. As a starting point, it's a great start. Yes, Richard was a past guest here on Cars. Yeah, he lives up here in the Pacific Northwest where I live. Richard's a good friend. He's a great, great person. Yeah, very familiar with him and that book. A great reference for those listeners out there. I'll remind our listeners you can find links to all these great resources David's been so kind to share on his very own show notes page at carsyeah.com slash David. Cooper. And there's another great place called Guest Recommended Books on the site under references where you can go with quick, easy clicks to buy all these books, including the one by Richard Adato. All right, we are up to the checkered flag, David. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost, I'm going to buy you whatever vehicle you'd like today. What would that car be or truck or bike, whatever? But more importantly, why? You know, I'm, I'm right now. I'm very taken, and I maybe I'm fickle. You know, because my, <laughs> of course my you are. <laughs> change as I go on, but right now I'm so taken with Delage. We're just finishing that. That's the car I would love to keep. It has the most amazing history, and the most one of the most remarkable cars. The details on it were just exquisite. Even for going everywhere from the lacquer paint to the special upholstery to the interior wood to the shape of the car to all the different details about it, I love. So right now, that's my my, I'm enamored with that one. That's a 1937 Delage D8120 Aerosport Coupe, Series 2. Oh, wow. Well, nice pick. That's going to cost me a pretty penny, I have a feeling. I'm afraid so. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, thank you for the uh, kind gift as a, as a courtesy for being on your show. You're very welcome. I give away lots of cars here, so it's great fun. I've always thought... You know, if there's any way I could figure out how to get a model of every one of the cars that people like and send it off to them, it might be a fun little follow-up. But it's always good to dream, that's for sure. It is, for sure. I'm working on on having a model maker make a model of that car. Oh, very nice. Well, I've had a couple great model makers here on the show, so I'll have to refer you to a couple really strong ones. David, you have taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that 37 Delage D8120? What I, I guess I would say more than anything is that we need to be, as a group in the car world, committed to authenticity. And I think that the world is going that direction. In the past, it's been sort of focused on what's beautiful and how to make the cars look exquisite far better than they did when new. Mm-hmm. But today, I think there's much more of an emphasis on being original and being accurate. And I think that's a wonderful direction we should all be going. I'm committed to it. And I think that we learn from looking at cars that are original. We look at cars that are referenced for because they haven't been restored, and we try to restore them with that in mind. And I think this is important. Yes, absolutely. And what's the best way for our listeners to follow you, learn more about you and your business and what you're doing? Well, they should check out our website, www.coopertechnica.com. 
And also, um, we have a Facebook page under Cooper Technica, so I certainly would welcome people to see that as well. Fantastic. Well, listeners, again, I'll, I'll supply you with links to everything David shared on his show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type David into the search box. That page will pop up with links. I encourage you to follow him. Check out the website. Follow him on Facebook. See what he's up to. And when you're at a Concord again, walk up and say hello and uh, learn a little bit more about cars from somebody who certainly has some experience with them. David, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. I enjoyed it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.